Welcome to McCullough Christian Center's broadcast today. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.purposemcc.com. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Just say amen when you're there so I know when to start reading. All right. You guys know your Bibles very well. Good job, guys. The Bible says this. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord. I could stop right there and that would be a great sermon. Friend, what is your primary job? To do what? Give yourselves a round of applause. You're doing so great. Your primary job in life is to minister to the Lord. Before you are a mother to your children, you are called to minister to Jesus. All the mamas, say amen. Before you are called to provide for your household husband, you are called to do what? Minister to the Lord. Before you are called to preach the gospel, you are called to minister to the Lord. That's why we have a Levitical inheritance. That's what the Bible says. What did the Levites do? They stood and ministered to the Lord. Now the Bible says we are kings and what? Priests unto God. What was the role of a priest? To Are you getting the point here? Your job is to minister to the Lord. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, his eyes began to grow so dim he could not see. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, the ark represents his presence. And while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel and answered, here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call you, lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called Samuel again, Samuel. So Samuel arose, went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call you, my son. Go lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Let me stop really quick. If Samuel did not know the Lord and the Lord was speaking to him, that tells me God can speak to your prodigal children, mamas and daddies. If your unsaved child is not saved yet, that would be a good time to say amen right there. Samuel didn't know the Lord, yet the Lord spoke to him. That tells me while your son is high on drugs, he can have an encounter with God like that, friends. Like that. Remember something. God cares more about your children than you ever will. I feel sometimes that we feel we have to beg and plead, God, please save my child. I get the aspect of that. But friend, to believe that you care more about your child being saved than God does is nothing but pride. It's to believe that you're more compassionate than God is. I'll just leave that with you. 
And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you did call me. Then Eli had a moment and a brainwave where the light bulb came on and he perceived that maybe the Lord was now talking to Samuel. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, go lie down and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, speak Lord for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood at other times and said, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. Go to verse 15. So Samuel lay down until the morning and opened the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Lord, speak to every heart today, I pray. Touch every life. Let your word fall on good soil and produce much fruit in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. I want to preach a message to you this morning entitled, Playing in the Wrong Position. Playing in the Wrong Position. You know, I, I do not claim to be an eschatological preacher, which is the study of the end times. I don't claim to be a prophet who the Lord has given me a secret Bible code and showed me a date that no one knew about when he's going to return. I just don't do that, okay? But what I'm very aware of is the Bible makes it very clear to us what the end times will look like. Jesus paints a vivid picture in Matthew 24, speaking of the things that will happen before the end comes. And if anything is going to paint an accurate picture on the end times, it is the Word of God. So much so that I would tell you, your Bible is more up to date than tonight's news. If you want to know what's going to happen in the earth, do not look to Fox News, CNN, or ABC. Open your Bible and you will soon figure out that the news networks only report what the Bible says is going to happen. Let me make something aware to you. Fox News does not have breaking news. The Bible does. And it's been there for years, friend. So if you look at your Bible, you will discover that you will only have to be blind not to realize we are very much in the end times. We are in the last week of the last day of the last hour of the last minute of time, I believe. We are seeing signs right now that point to the fact there is not long left. Now if Jesus said, behold, I am coming soon, and that was 2,000 years ago, we must now believe it is going to be very soon. I might be old-fashioned, but I still believe in the return of Christ. Because I'm wondering if you do right now, because some of you like to look at me real close. I really believe that when the Bible says he will come on the clouds of heaven, that is not metaphorical. I really believe he will crack the eastern sky. Every eye will see. He will stand on the Mount of Olives. He will walk through the eastern gate. And not one king or president or ruler can stop what he is going to do. I find it really cute that they bricked up the eastern gate, Pastor, to stop Jesus coming through. They tried that once in the tomb, and that didn't work very well either. We already tried that once, and that didn't work very well. He kicked that stone out of the way and came out of the grave. Now this time, friend, he's not dead. He's alive. And you think a brick wall is going to stop the Son of God building his kingdom here on this earth? I don't think so. This is the only volume I preach at. So if you don't like loud preaching, now is your time to go, okay? I just get excited about the gospel. 
I get excited when I read that Jesus really will conquer death and not will, has conquered death and hell and really has disrobed the enemy of every ounce of authority. So much so, the Bible says, brother, he made an open spectacle of the devil. Friend, because we're in the end times, I believe there is no greater hour than to preach the uncompromised gospel than there is right now. And listen to me, I believe every person, say every person, Tap your neighbor and say, that means you. Every person is called to preach the gospel. Every person is called to lay hand on the sick. Every person is called to cast out devils. Every person is called to raise the dead. Because freely you have received, freely you must. I know that the world is telling you right now that things are not looking good for Christians. In fact, statistics will tell you that we are at the lowest ever church attendance in my generation. Now does that worry me? It should in the natural, but it doesn't. And you say, Jordan, why is that? Because there's one scripture in the Bible, Pastor, I just can't get over from looking at. And it was a promise given to us by Jesus of all people. And in the face of the world right now, Jesus echoes this promise. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not stand against it. Friend, I know CNN is telling you right now that the church is in decline. Christianity is being outlawed. Cultural doesn't want it. Society doesn't want it. But they have a problem. We're not the ones building the church. The ancient of days is the one building his church. The devil can't stop it. No devil in hell can stop it. Jesus said in the midst of cancel culture, LGBTQ, all of these things, they say don't believe that. Don't preach that I will build my I'll build my church and there is nothing no political party can do to stop it but that's not what I'm here to preach to you about this morning see for so long in the church we have looked at superstar preachers and said it's good for them. I see God, you're building your church through them. But God, what about me? See, this morning, I'm not here to preach to the superstars. I'm here to preach to a, a single mother who barely makes it. And I've come to tell you, you're called by God as well. I've come to preach to a school janitor who feels like your days have been missed serving the Lord and no one recognizes you and you are hidden and God can't use me. I've come to tell you, brother, God can use you as well. Hey, I've come to preach to the over 60s and I've come to tell you as a representative of my generation, you are not done. My generation needs fathers and mothers right now to pour into us and say, listen, we've been there. We've walked through it. If we got through it, you can get through it. Maybe I can't go and preach for you, but I can get on my knees in my prayer closet and I'll intercede for you I'll pray the devil out of that country for you I've come to tell you God's not done with you either your greatest days are yet ahead of you friends I've come to tell someone this morning that you are also called by God 
See, I want to preach to you this morning, friend, that when you are saved, you are not just saved from something, you are saved into something. That was better than what you're acting. You are not just saved from something, you are saved into something. Let me tell you what the Bible says. Watch this, watch this, watch this. The Bible says in, Col- in Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now, this verse would be good if it said He saved us from darkness. I could stand back and go, that is wonderful, but I don't just serve a good God. I serve an outstanding God. He did not just save me from darkness. He brought me into light. Now watch this, watch this. He did not just save me from depression. He brought me into joy. He didn't just save me from sickness. He brought me into health. He didn't save me from poverty. He brought me into abundance. I was not just saved, friend, from anxiety. I was brought into boldness like a lion, friend. When God does something, He does not save you and leave you. He brings you in to a kingdom. Now, when you came into that kingdom, There was an assignment given to your life. We call it the call of God. Now watch this. Listen carefully. When God gave you the calling over your life, He never bothered to check your qualifications or your resume. Because the call of God, this would be a good thing to write down. I don't care if you write it down, write it on your phone, tattoo it on the bottom of your foot. I don't care what you do, okay? Just remember this. The call, for all you older people who looked at me like I'm blaspheming, that was a joke. That was a joke, okay? Let me just clear the air. There's some, oh dear God, what? No, no, no. That was a joke. Listen to me. The call of God on your life has nothing to do with what you can do. It has everything to do with what you will allow Him to do through you. Can I give you that one more time for those of you who are writing? Okay. The call of God has nothing to do with what you can do. I'm giving you time to catch up on your notes. Okay. It has everything to do with what you will allow Him to do through you. That's why the Bible says that God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And the weak things of the world to shame the strong. In other words, friend, it does not matter what your qualifications or your resume are. God takes glory in finding somebody who can't speak and putting him in front of Pharaoh. Somehow God takes joy in finding a guy who was a fisherman, occasionally cuts people's ears off and says, you will preach the opening service of our global church launch, Peter. Only Jesus would take a man hiding from an army and make him the general of the army. See, friend, listen to me this morning. Listen, listen, listen. No matter who you are, there's a call in your life. The Bible says this about you, John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose. 
going to do that one more time. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Ephesians 4.1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. 2 Thessalonians 1.11. To this end we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling. Touch your neighbor and say, you're called. Now touch your other neighbor and say, you're called. For anyone to understand this morning, some of you feel like you've been disqualified from being called by God because of what you've done. But I've come to tell you this morning, you're still called by God. I've come to tell somebody that you think what you have done is greater than what Jesus has done. That's a word for someone this morning. Brother, if you only knew what I had done, why do you think what you've done is so impressive? You're not as bad as you think you are, friend, although you think that's cool. If you only know what I've done, don't you know what Jesus has done? Your guilt wouldn't look so big if you looked at Jesus. Let me give you a breakdown here, friends. If you don't feel called this morning, Moses couldn't preach, but he was still called. Gideon was afraid, but he was still called. Jonah disobeyed God, but... David was an adulterer and a murderer, but Peter denied Christ, but Paul murdered Christians, but John was exiled to Patmos, but I know you're a drug addict, but I know you were bound by alcohol, but I know your parents didn't tell you they loved you, but I know your school teacher said you'll never amount to anything, but I've got news for you, friend. I know your family disregarded you because you're a Christian, but... I know you never feel like you're significant as a child, but I know you suffer with depression, but I know you deal with anxiety, but I know you feel like you've got no confidence, but friends, I've come to tell someone this morning, there is still a call on your life. I know your school teacher told you a failure, but my Bible has the final amen. You're still called. I know you still feel a little bit broken, but you're still called. Because if God can take a Peter, now watch what God does. Watch what God does. Jesus knows Peter will deny him. Friend, if you listen to this this morning, this will change your life. Watch this. Jesus knew Peter would deny him. But Jesus takes the time to tell Peter, Peter... Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Peter. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. Jesus now speaks prophetically into something that seems like a disaster just to remind Peter, this is not your end. Watch this. He says, Peter, when you have been restored. Stop. Here's what you say to yourself. If I ever get restored. That's not the language of Jesus. What Jesus did was this. He spoke into existence something that was not yet. Because he saw something in Peter that went beyond his denial. He saw something in Peter that went beyond his failure. He said, this is what you've done, but this is not who you are. I'm trying to preach to you this morning, friend. 
See, some of you have identified yourself by what you've done, not by who Jesus says you are. Well, maybe I'm always going to be this way. Not according to that Bible, I read, friend. Maybe I'm just going to always be a... No, no, no. Not according to that Bible. Well, I'm just a failure. I don't read anywhere in my Bible that God referenced you. So, Peter, when you are restored, comfort the brethren. Isn't it interesting? That Jesus picked someone who needed comforting to comfort others. Well, how do you know that? Because when the disciples ran to the tomb, he said, Go and tell the others, and why did he single out Peter? Because he gave Peter a promise he gave nobody else. He was trying to flick something on in the mind of Peter saying, oh, dear God. Maybe this is not the end. Maybe I am not what I've done. Maybe I am still the person Jesus saw on this rock. I will build my church. See, God will speak to you as what he sees you are when you don't look anything like it. Jesus called Peter a rock when actually at times he was a dysfunctional maniac. But Jesus spoke to him as someone he would become, not who he presently was. This is getting me excited if this is not getting you excited because this is not even in my notes this morning. Listen carefully this morning. With every call and with every purpose, which we've already identified this morning, every person in this room is called, say amen. amen. Every person in this room has a purpose, say amen. amen. With every call and with every purpose, listen carefully. There is a measure of grace given to you to get the job done. How do you know that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you what the Bible says this morning. Watch this. Ephesians 4, 7, but to each one of us, say that's me. Now the rest of you say, that's me. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now if you go back in this passage, you will read that Paul is actually explaining to the gifts and the calls and the offices in the church. So when, sorry, when Paul is talking about a gift here, he is talking about the calling of God. That's why he referenced, and Jesus gave gifts to men. I don't read anywhere that he gave donkeys and Ferraris out. So what are we referencing here? When he ascended, he gave callings and purposes to people's lives. So now with that established and understood, let's go to the rest of the passage. But to each one of us, that's me, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. I'm no mathematician, but I know a formula when I see one. Here's what Paul's trying to say. Grace was given to you in direct proportion to the measure of the gift that was given to you. What does that mean? God will not take you where His grace cannot keep you. He 
He said, Jordan, I'm going through something right now. God's about to ask me to step out of the edge of my boat, and I'm not sure I'm going to land on the water. God will not take you, friend. Where is grace? Cannot keep you. Friend, God, no. Jordan, you don't understand. God's asking me to believe for something I've never believed before. Well, I've got good news for you. He will not take you where his grace cannot keep you. Some of you say, I don't know how to do it. go through this next season of my life. What if it's scary? What if there's no provision? I've got news for you. God will not take you where his grace cannot. But listen. If you truly want to fulfill the call of God for your life, and this, if I could only preach one section of this whole sermon, I think this would be it. I share this with you because never in my life have I seen this more evident than right now around the world without going into detail. Listen, if you want to fulfill the call in your life, it will take more than gifting. It will take something very unpopular called character. Now people say, well, Jordan, hold on, listen, listen. Doesn't the Bible say that a man's gift will make room for him? It does. Your gift will make room for you, but character will keep you there. No man or woman of God ever failed the call of God in their life because their gifting ran out. It was that their character failed. Why? Listen. This is from the Holy Spirit. Listen. Because your gifting is sustained by grace, but your character must be sustained by presence. You should have wrote that down. Your gifting, meaning the call of God in your life, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the... Okay, you didn't work for that. Newsflash. How many think it was amazing how many people got healed last night? We took... We took testimonies for like 20, 30 minutes. People literally lined up on the platform. I've got news for you. Jordan Morris had nothing to do with that. Do you know why that's wonderful? Because it takes all the pressure off me. Jesus is the one who healed them. I couldn't heal someone on my best day, brother. Gifting is sustained by his grace. But character is only sustained by his presence. Well, how do you know that? Because the Bible says that character really is defined as the fruits of the huh? spirit. Can I say anything to you very simple but profound? If you want to flow in the fruits of the spirit, you have to spend time with the holy. Isn't that amazing and profound all at the same time? You ever meet people in church? And obviously I'm not talking about anyone in here. (laughs) You ever meet people in church who are just constantly moaning and whining about something? How's your day, brother? Well, I've seen better days. That's all they ever give you. How many know somebody like that in Jesus' name? Okay. Brother, someone just gave you a million dollars. Could have been two million dollars. Those kind of people. (laughs) Isn't it nicer weather today? I'm sure it's nicer in Hawaii. Like, dude, what is your problem? I know what the problem is. They haven't been in the presence of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. 
How many of you ever were in your prayer closet with the Lord and came out miserable? Never. Never have I come out my prayer closet going, that could have been better. No. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. How many of you came out your prayer closet after having encountered the Lord and came out with more anxiety than you went in? Never. Because the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Jesus' name. How many came out your prayer closet just angry with the world? No, no, no. Gentleness, kindness, self-control, love, joy, peace, patience. Friend, these are all fruits of the Spirit and parts of the gifts of the Spirit, but they can only manifest if you spend time with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to say something right now, very controversial, and it's going to upset many people watching online, especially if you're preachers. But hear my heart. Hear my heart. I am negative 5% impressed when I see a man of God operating in miracles. I used to be. I could not get close enough to those guys and women. Sorry to all you women that felt left out there. Okay. I couldn't get enough of it. I was in prayer lines even though I wasn't sick just so they could lay hands on me. You know, it used to impress me. So people come out of wheelchairs. I'm like, that is amazing. It just doesn't impress me anymore. Not because I've grown cold towards miracles, friend. I desire to see miracles every day of my life. But because I realized this, that man is not responsible for those miracles. Now I'm going to preach something to you that wins me no points in an evangelist, but I'll be lying if I didn't say this was the truth. Do you know what impresses me? When I talk to a couple in their 80s and 90s and they tell me we've been faithful to each other for 55 years. That impresses me. You know what impresses me? When I meet someone who is 85 years old and they say, I've been serving Jesus since I was seven years old. And they're still running the race. They are still keeping the faith. You know what impresses me? When I see a pastor cleaning up trash in the parking lot and he does it with humility. You know what impresses me? When I see somebody speak to their children respectfully in private the same way they do in public. You know what impresses me? When I see a husband being respectful to their wife in the green room just like they were on the pulpit. That's what Impresses me because that's called character and that has to be worked on. Miracles on your job. You haven't worked for it, but character. Friend, I have sat in green rooms with some of the most well-known preachers in the world. And some of the things that I saw and some of the things that I heard. Some of the ways I saw them speak to their wives. But oh, brother, no, no, it's all about the miracles and the, and the anointing. Well, no, hold on. Why don't we ask Jesus about this? Why don't we ask Jesus how he felt when you disrespected your wife in front of all those other people? Why don't we speak to Jesus about the time that you flipped out and lost your temper because someone cut you off in traffic? Well, it doesn't, I'm not on a pulpit. Oh, Jesus only watches when you're on a pulpit. That's news to me. Getting someone out of wheelchair doesn't make you a man of God. Being consistent in private when no one would even know you're doing wrong, that makes you a man of God. 
Loving the homeless man, the same when you love your pastor, that's what defines women and men of God. Doing the right thing when no one's there, that's what defines men and women of God. People said about Billy Graham, what defined him as a man of God was not the crusades, it's what he did when no one was looking. This is what the Lord cares about. Can I give you a newsflash? That crusade you just saw there, that wasn't difficult to preach it. Do you get what I'm trying to say here? Like, that was the highlight reel. That was the victory. That, you know, when people talk about, you know, laboring for the gospel, that wasn't the hard part. You know what's the hard part? When eight flights have been canceled and all you want to do is lose your mind with the desk agent at Delta and the Holy Spirit says it's not her fault, speak to her like I would. That's the hard part. You know what's the hard part? When your driver gets you to the crusade 45 minutes late because he took every wrong turn, but you say, no, 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 my job is to love you like Jesus. That's what defines men and women of God. Not that. Anyone can do that. God could raise up this young girl right here, right now, anoint her, and she could do that. So what defines you? The things when no one's looking. Let me finish with this. You can have the greatest purpose given to mankind, but purpose without the right position will only produce frustration. Can I give you that again? Purpose, meaning the call of God in your life, without being in the right position, will only produce frustration. Let me show you an example. Come here, brother, real quick. Can I borrow you? Come real quick. Do me a favor. Stand at that end of the bench. Way down here. And brother, can you stand right here? I'm a visual learner, okay? I only learn by visually. So I'm going to assume that you're all the same way this morning. Watch this. Which is your left and your, okay. That's your left. I want you to imagine that right here, this represents the infancy of the call of God in your life. In other words, this was the day the prophetic word came to you. You will be an evangelist to the nations. You will be a mother who raises children, which both are equally important, by the way. Someone say amen to that. Okay, what an honor that you get to raise children. Just a thought. This represents the fulfillment of that word. This is the day you get to the end of your life and you know you're going to stand before God doing everything the Lord told you to do and you've done it faithfully. Are you tracking with me? But watch this. You don't get from here to there without walking through here. And here's the problem. What has been preached to us is that when you come to Jesus, this is what happens. Saved, preach my first sermon. The whole crowd gets saved. God TV calls me. My show goes around the world. I pack stadiums. I go to heaven. It sounds good. It's just not accurate. You know what actually happens? I get saved. My family can't stand me because of it. Given my first opportunity to preach, felt like I felt flat on my face. 
went and plucked up some courage to pray for the man on the street. He cussed me out and told me never to do it again. Not sure if I'm even called to be an evangelist anymore. Not sure what God's doing with my life. But I opened my Bible and something said I was still called. So I press on towards the upward call in Christ Jesus. Tried to do our first ever crusade. Hardly anybody showed up. Discouraged. Betrayed. But Jesus was still with me. He didn't leave me. Try again. God gave me success. Go to the next one. People left me out the city. Said never come back again. But I'm still called. I'll still press on. That's how it really looks. Now watch this. This is a teaching moment. You can be watching somebody doing the same thing as you. Also called to be an evangelist. And here's what's happening in their life. Success. After success. After success. So here's what you do. Well, 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 if that's what he's doing, then I need to do the same thing he's doing. Okay, what church is he preaching at? All right, I'll try and get an invite to that church. Now, why do I feel frustrated? Why do I feel like before when I was obeying God, I was literally ice skating through life. And now it feels like I'm wading through the mud trying to get to the next step where that next preacher is because if he's doing it, I'm sure I can do it better. Watch, 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 watch. You have recognized purpose, but you have moved into an incorrect position. And now it's only led to You know, my hero of the faith is Reinhard Bonnke. His journey looked very different to mine. But I recognize if I had tried to do what he did, okay, call a lot of people in the AG, get them to try and support me, be a missionary to Africa, try to publicize as well as I can, buy a big tent. After that, I'll buy a bigger tent. Then the storm will come, destroy the tent, and a voice will come out of heaven, saying, my glory will now be your canopy. Then I'll go to Lagos, Nigeria, hold a crusade where 1.6 million. Okay, that's the story of Reinhard Bonnke. So maybe I need to do the same thing. And now... I'm trying to wade through mud. Well, he preaches a hill song, so maybe if I call a friend who knows a friend who knows someone in hill song and have them talk to You've got purpose, but you're all up in the wrong position. You know how it looked like for me? You see that video like, John, that's wonderful for you. Do you know what it looked like for me? You can ask Zach, you can know me for years. Move to America, no invites. Get one small little invite. Do you want to come and preach at Team Challenge? Eight people there. They say, we can't give you a penny. Can you drive your own way here, cover your own costs? Yeah. Because I know that's the position God's given me right now. So I'll be faithful with this. Well, hold on, Jordan. You're trying to get to crusades. Shouldn't you be calling? No, 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 no. I learned if you'll be faithful in the position God's given you. If you will know where God wants you to be, I know there's only eight people, but I will preach to those eight people like there is 800,000 people. From there, you go to a tiny church in the back end of, I think it was Dothan, Alabama. And there we had no supporters, no partnership, nothing. But I'll be faithful to preach here. Stepped out to do our first crusade. Hardly anybody was there. But I remembered, it's not about me and how it looks. Know your position. Stay in your position. And you will find that God rejects the proud but he will give grace to but I discovered something after all those years that to me is no more successful than that day at team challenge when there were eight young boys there 
Because God never measured the crowd. He measured faithfulness. Are you listening to me? What is the Lord going to say to you when you enter into heaven? Well done, thou good and... He never said, well done, thou good and successful preacher. In other words, the merit given to you is not on the realm of success, it's on faithfulness. Meaning what? God will even bless your failures if you did it faithfully. You can sit down. Thank you so much. Can you stand to your feet? I did better today. I got like 66% through rather than 50%. Maybe if you keep doing services, Pastor, I'll get 100% through one day. Did anyone want to go Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night? You see, I'm here. I'm not. I want to go see my wife and my baby. I've not been home for like a week. Did anybody get anything out of this this morning? Listen, I want to finish by saying this. I want to finish by saying this. I want to finish by saying this. Come and help me on the key real quick. I know for many of you, this is your cue to leave because you've got to run to Golden Corral and get your food. Okay. If you can tarry, <laughs> since we've already used that word today, if you can, what other words did you use? Linger. Let's practice lingering and tarrying for like six minutes. Because I know your food's more important than an altar call right now, and I get it. Let me come back to the scripture I read you at the beginning. The Bible says Samuel was lying down where? Very good. In the house of the Lord. And the Lord spoke to him. How many know that nothing is in the Bible by accident? Even the maps are there. So what is interesting to me is when I read this, I asked the Lord a question. And here's what's wonderful about the Bible. If you don't ever understand it, you can always ask the author. So I said to the Lord, Lord, why is it important that you told me where Samuel went to bed? Now listen, I love you all today, but I don't care where you went to bed last night. I don't. It makes no difference to my life. I don't care if you slept on your couch or in your room. Good job. I'm happy for you. But the Lord thought it was important that we knew where Samuel slept, Pastor. Why? So I asked the Lord, and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. Would you like to know what he said? Okay, for you four. Only you four. You guys, I don't want you to even listen because you didn't care about it. So you don't deserve to know. Here's what the Lord said. I said, Lord, why did you tell me where Samuel slept? And here's what the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, son, because oftentimes a destiny moment will require you to correctly position yourself. Watch this. Samuel's position was the presence. 
Samuel elected voluntarily to sleep on a hard, cold, dark temple floor. Now we know he had a comfortable bed. Well, how do you know that? Well, because you have to understand the culture of those days. Samuel was a disciple of Eli. Eli was the high priest. In the culture of those days, a high priest did not have disciples. They had sons. How do you know? I'm glad you asked. Because when Samuel came to Eli, he said, what is it, son? Then he said, go and lie down, son. So a high priest was responsible for clothing his disciples, feeding them, housing them. So we know Samuel had a house and a bed and food. So why do I find you, Samuel? Not in your comfortable bed, but on a cold, dark, hard temple Here's why I think he did it. Because Samuel knew that sometimes encounter requires you to take yourself out of comfort and put yourself in an uncomfortable place. Don't you find it fascinating that Samuel was one who had the encounter, not Eli? Why? Because the Bible said, I love the Bible. It is every detail you could ever need is there. It said Eli was lying down in his place. Eli was in bed. Samuel was in the temple next to the ark of God. So what am I trying to say to you? Samuel said this, I know it's cold in here. I know it's dark, but I want to get as close to the presence of God as I possibly can. If I have to sleep next to it, then I'll sleep next to it. If I have to kneel by it, then I'll kneel by it. I know I've got a comfortable bed, but there's no encounter in my comfort. But there is encounter in my disc. Some of you wonder, why do I never get touched? It's really hard for God to touch you while you're in your lazy boy watching NFL. You know I love you, right? Why do I never seem to get touched by the Lord? Because your snooze buttoning is robbing you of encounter. I'm not an idiot. I know it feels good on those cold winter mornings where you just want to. But the Son of God's waiting for you. You say it every single time, Jordan, you get it perfect. Oh, absolutely not. I guarantee I've failed more times than you. But what I do know is this. I want him really bad. And friend, you'll never walk on water until you get out of your comfortable boat. You know, every single one of these crusades, we planned with zero dollars in our account. And God supernaturally, out of nowhere, would provide. But I feel like sometimes, Pastor, I live in a permanent place of uncomfortability. I guess once a year I get like, oh, wow, we actually got the money early. Okay, that's maybe once every, who knows. But I've discovered something, friend. You'll never know God is your provider unless you've needed providing for. You'll never know him to be the healer unless you've needed so you're saying God gives sickness, 
absolutely, categorically, no. You can't find me one scripture in the Bible as well. The backstab. I know you're going to turn to Job. Okay, watch this. God gave permission. Because the Bible says every good and perfect thing comes from God with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. If God gives sickness, then why was Jesus tied to a post and lashed? Why would he not just spare himself the pain? And how hypocritical would it be of God to give sickness and then heal the sickness he gave you? Maybe your God, not mine. How would you ever know him to be your joy unless you've experienced sadness? Well, sometimes I just don't think he understands. Okay, okay, he was tempted in all things. And the Bible says we do not have a high priest who cannot empathize with us. Well, I, I don't think he understands my loss. Oh, he wept outside the tomb of Lazarus. I just don't think he understands how lonely I'm. Oh, he knew what it was to feel abandoned on the cross. I just don't think he knows what it's like to be betrayed. Oh, they all left him. Friend, there's nothing you've been through that the Son of God cannot say, I know how it feels. I know how it feels. He weeps when we weep. And he rejoices when we rejoice. Friend, you do not serve some cosmic entity who is unable to empathize and sympathize with you. He is the God-man in heaven still bearing the scars in his glorified body. He understands, friend. He understands. 